eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Goldcamp. Today's episode of the podcast will just be me. Our co-host, Blake Alderman, is going to a wedding this weekend. I know fall weddings in the SEC, kind of a no-no, but hey, it happens sometimes. I actually got lucky last year myself. My brother, for some reason, decided to schedule his wedding on September 12th, and I just happened to get lucky that a global pandemic came along and bumped back the start of the season for the SEC to the end of September. Uh, so I know what it's like. I've gotten away with it once, you know, when... Uh, when you have somebody that you're close to getting married, you got to do what you got to do. So Blake, unfortunately, will not be on today's episode of the podcast, but I think that's okay. You know, I don't know that this Tennessee game this weekend is going to be quite as big a deal as last weekend's game against Alabama, although certainly it could end up turning out to be an interesting contest. That's the SEC. That's why they play the games. So let's go ahead and reset the stage for Florida coming off of last week's loss to Alabama. I think the way that game went, you know, with Florida going down 21-3, to then battling all the way back and only losing by two points. I think the mood from not just, you know, within the program, but the Florida fan base as a whole is relatively positive right now. I think everybody kind of feels like Florida is moving in the right direction. If you're able to do that against Alabama, even if Alabama is not yet quite the juggernaut that we're used to seeing, that's a good sign. I mean, not every team is able to do what Florida did last week, not just getting the game to within two points, but really being able to say, hey, you know, if we had eliminated a couple of the simple mistakes that we made, a missed extra point here, a third down conversion there, you know, one of those ticky-tack judgment call pass interference penalties that went against Florida and extended a drive, uh, a missed two-point conversion where there was botched communication and a guy lined up in the wrong spot. If you get rid of any number of those mistakes, you're probably the team that comes out ahead against Alabama. And so I think there's very much a sense that Florida is probably under very good leadership right now. I think it's very obvious that Dan Mullen has gotten this program to a place where it can be competitive. And we talked about it on the last episode of the podcast. A loss to Alabama, especially a two-point loss, is just not going to hurt you that much. Nobody is going to ding you for losing to the Crimson Tide by two points, even at home. So all of Florida's season goals still in front of them, still on the table. The Gators have a very simple path. It's, it's really, really simple. You win the games you're supposed to, including beating Georgia in Jacksonville for that SEC East title. And all of a sudden, you're right there in the playoff hunt come SEC championship game in the beginning of December. And if you win that game, probably, almost definitely, you're going to be in the playoffs, right? So 
The bottom line is Florida just has to go out and take care of business. And I think we've seen enough from this team at this point that if those issues do get addressed, you know, some of the mistakes that we talked about last week, some of the depth concerns where you lose a Ventrell Miller, okay, who steps up? Last week we saw that was Jeremiah Moon. But in spots like that, you know, spots where Florida right now is getting by, but maybe needs to develop depth. I think that's one of the key issues going forward. I think you look at the right side of the O-line, that's an area that the Gators need to continue to develop depth, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, But really for this Florida team, I think through three weeks of the season, you've seen enough that I think these Gators can be competitive, not just in the SEC East, but beyond that. I think last week showed that. And really at this point, it's all about continuing to fine-tune the things that you're really good at run game on offense, figuring out how you can consistently be disruptive against the pass defensively. You know, I thought last week was a huge step in the right direction. I thought Avery Helm stepped up at that second cornerback spot, uh, really showed, I thought, his best performance of the season. And you're starting to see the Gators have the pieces in the place. Now it's just avoiding any kind of slip-ups before you get to Georgia. And obviously that's not how the team is going to approach it. Right? They're going to take every game, one game at a time. But I think for fans at this point, as you're kind of putting together your different phases of the season, it was always going to be the first three games are kind of their individual chunk. Right, You have the games against FAU and USF to kind of get you ready for that Alabama game, kind of figure out what you have, but more so you know, get guys comfortable, get them going at full speed before you play Alabama, and then you try to shock the world. You're through that first three games, and you didn't shock the world, but... You're in a place where everything that, you, like I said, all the goals that you set out with at the start of the season are still there. So now it's about this second chunk of games. And I look at it as the next four games. You've got Tennessee at home. You go on the road to Kentucky, and I think that game will be pretty tricky. We'll talk about that some more. You come back at home against Vanderbilt, and then you go on the road for what could be a challenging game against LSU, but could also maybe not be quite as tough as we thought it would ahead of the season. Obviously, LSU's got its own set of issues. You know, they're a little bit up and down. Who knows where that game will be basically a month from now. I mean, that, that's still a long way to go. But you take care of those four games. If you, you handle business in those four games, you've now set up essentially a playoff quarterfinal almost, or, or potentially. I mean, you know, Florida would still have to take care of business. But if you beat Georgia, that's kind of like your quarterfinal game, right? And then theoretically at that point, you've sewn up the East. The SEC championship game becomes your semifinal, and then you're into the playoffs, right? So that's the focus for Florida, and I think really if you're looking at these next four weeks, the main thing you want to see, especially in these next two weeks, just don't get upset, right? It's okay if you play a close game closer than expected. Hopefully you have the maturity to not allow that to happen, to come out and play you know, absolutely dominant football, but in the event that doesn't happen, you just can't lose a game, right? The, the entire goal for the next four games is just win. Win those four games, avoid the trap game, avoid a trip up, and then you're set up to do everything you wanted to do at the start of the season. Now, let's talk about some things related to this Florida team. Anthony Richardson, number one. So we talked a little bit about Anthony Richardson going into that Alabama game. Obviously, I felt very confident that Richardson would be playing against Alabama based on all the stuff that we heard from sources very well connected to the team in practice last week. We heard that he practiced. We heard that there wasn't really any setback or anything like that. I thought he would play against Alabama. Well, this week, you know, after we filmed, I believe, both uh, episodes, the Sunday episode and the Tuesday episode of the podcast, we found out from Dan Mullen that Anthony Richardson was, in fact, cleared by doctors to play last week. So he could have played against Alabama. 
And the main reason that Anthony Richardson did not play was because Dan Mullen wanted to be extremely cautious with his hamstring injury. A hamstring is not necessarily an injury like a sprained ankle or a rolled ankle or something like that, where you kind of tape it up and yeah, it may stink to play on. It's not going to feel very good, but you know, as long as you've got it taped up and and pretty well immobilized, you're not going to make it any worse. It's not really the case with the hamstring injury, right? A hamstring injury, you get up to full speed, all of a sudden you can, you know, tweak it, you can pop it, that kind of thing. So Dan Mullen said, you know, the MRI that they did Friday before the Alabama game, they they found out that Anthony Richardson was actually ahead of where they thought he would be in terms of recovering from that hamstring injury. So actually really good news. And then again, last week before the Alabama game, we see Anthony Richardson doing his back handspring, his backflip. Guy looked pretty good. So a little surprised that they didn't opt to play him against Alabama, especially given how close that game was. But that tells you that Dan Mullen's not lying when he says, hey, the team puts in a plan each week. Both quarterbacks know what that plan's going to be. And from there, you kind of go forward. And so the plan last week, last week was very much Anthony Richardson is the backup. And he'll only come in in emergency situations. If Emory Jones were to go down, he would come in. And Florida really, if you believe Dan Mullen, wouldn't try to run him at all. I'm sure that Anthony Richardson, you know, if he drops back to pass and there's something there, he would run. But the idea would be to keep him kind of in the pocket, not aggravate that hamstring. So in any case, he didn't play last week. We can talk about that however we want going forward. But the fact is, Anthony Richardson should have more time to recover. Florida's very much expecting him to be pretty close to 100% for this game. And so I would expect he'll play against Tennessee. But again, if you weren't willing to risk it last week in a game where you could have really made a statement, if he's not 100%, it wouldn't shock me to see Florida sit him another week as well. I think this Tennessee game being at home, a Tennessee team that has some issues that we'll talk about, especially in the second half of the show, to me is probably a little bit less of a threat than the following week at Kentucky you know, up in Lexington for a night game. To me, that one's a little bit trickier the next two weeks. But, you know, Anthony Richardson will continue to monitor that. I do think the way Emory Jones played last week, I don't think there's quite as much of a push to get Anthony Richardson involved right away. I think at this point, a lot of fans at least, and again, fans aren't the ones making the decision, but I think a lot of fans feel similarly that if Emory Jones can do what he did at least against Alabama, let Anthony Richardson get healthy. You're going to need him to be that kind of spark plug, that that explosive guy, especially in games like the Georgia game going forward. So why not get him 100%? Let's reduce that risk of re-injury. Um, however, Florida ends up playing that. One thing I would like to see continue to happen over this next couple games, especially going forward as you get ready for that Georgia game, I want to see Florida keep developing its identity. I think one thing that Florida has done really well so far is they've kind of fully bought into the shift offensively, right? We knew that going from the Kyle Trask, Kadarius Toney, Kyle Pitts offense of last year, where Florida led the nation in passing, we knew the Gators were going to shift to a more run-based approach. The question was how well that was going to work. Well, Florida's committed to that. I think at this point, it's very clear, regardless of your feelings on whether or not Alabama is typical, traditional Alabama yet, or, you know, they're just a very good team. However you feel about that, Florida has clearly established itself as a dominant run team, and that's going to be the identity of the team. So how, what do I mean by developing that identity further going forward? Quite simply, it goes back to developing depth at key spots that you're going to need the rest of the way, such that an injury doesn't derail what you're trying to do. 
And I think through the first three weeks, there's been both positives and negatives as Florida's continued to build that identity. The positive being obviously that the Gators feel pretty good about it, right? Um, the O-line is really, really operating crisply up front. Best run blocking we've seen in several years at Florida. The running backs are getting the job done behind him. You know, if there's a downside to that in the first three weeks, we have seen a couple guys get dinged up. Right tackle Jean DeLance has been in and out of the game the last two weeks with uh, what Dan Mullen has called basically a bruise. So it's, uh, it's obviously enough of a bruise that it's impacted him. And Stuart Reese over at right guard has also been in and out a little bit with an undisclosed injury. But well, we saw Stuart Reese leaving the swamp last week with a boot on his foot. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's, you know, in any danger of missing game time, uh, of, of not playing against Tennessee. Absolutely not the case. Uh, Florida very much is very precautionary with those kind of things. But it's one of those things where if he's hurt now, again, you know, is he playing at 100%? Is he more likely to injure, you know, either what he's already nursing or something else? Bottom line is Florida needs to continue to develop that depth. And last week, I thought was was very, very positive for Florida in that both of those guys left that right side of the offensive line at various points, and the Gators did not miss a beat. I mean, Josh Braun came in, and I didn't think he played quite as well as the starters. You know, there's a couple snaps here and there where he looks like a guy that, you know, is still kind of learning as opposed to a guy like Stuart Reese who kind of knows what he's doing. But I thought getting him in there and, and really the overall unit didn't take a huge step back, even though I thought Braun maybe wasn't quite as good as Reese. And then same thing at right tackle. You get Michael Tarquin in there for John DeLance, or Jean DeLance. I think I've been saying that wrong the whole time. I, I think it's Jean DeLance. So I'm going to try to try to work on that. But you see these two guys get in and, and John Hevesy said it this week when we talked to him. He said, we want to be a line where if, you know, eight, nine, ten guys are in the right to play. They're going to play on the O-line, and that's not a knock on those starting five, but we want to play the guys that earn their reps. Right now, Florida is at seven guys. They feel like Josh Braun and Michael Tarquin have earned those reps. So I want to see those guys continue to, to, to play against Tennessee, continue to get their feet wet, get more comfortable, such that the depth builds out for Florida over these next couple games. And then that way, if a guy does get hurt down the stretch, you know, talking about if this is a team that makes a playoff run, Who's going to step up? Who's going to answer the call? And I think that's what Florida has the chance to answer over these next couple games. But I want to talk about Tennessee because obviously Tennessee has a new coaching staff in place this year. The Volunteers a little bit up and down through their first three games. Obviously, they lost in week two to Pitt. But let's take a quick commercial break and we'll be back right on the other side, breaking down the Tennessee Volunteers. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp. 
Here to talk about the Tennessee Volunteers who are coming into the swamp with a first-year head coach in Josh Heupel. Heupel was at US UCF for the last couple years, obviously took over after Scott Frost did there. Probably didn't have quite the level of success that Scott Frost did, but his athletics director, Danny White, the brother of Florida basketball coach Mike White, uh, left UCF, went to Tennessee, ended up hiring Heupel there. So I think that's an indication that he really likes what Heupel has done for the football program that he was in charge of at UCF. And obviously, Heupel is a, is a guy that has some familiarity with the SEC. Spent the 2016 and 2017 seasons as the OC at Missouri, so the Gators are familiar with him. Um, Dan Mullen, probably not quite as much because he wasn't on the East side of things at that point. But for Florida fans looking at you know what Tennessee will bring to the table, what to expect, kind of go back to those two years against Missouri, I think, because you flip on the tape, it's very similar. What does Josh Heupel like to do? He likes to spread the field. He likes to go at an extremely breakneck tempo on offense to basically try to get you out of sorts defensively and take advantage of you that way. That's very much the style. And I think what you've seen from Tennessee in their first three games is that it takes adjusting to that style. And I think offensively what you've seen from Tennessee so far, obviously they have question marks at quarterback. Joe Milton's a guy that transferred in from Michigan, started the first two games, but got banged up in that loss to Pitt. And so Hendon Hooker, a transfer from Virginia Tech, stepped in last week, played. I thought in the first half against Tennessee Tech, I went back and watched some of that game. I think the issue you see with him is he's a little loose with the football. Fumbled once. Uh, there was a low snap that got on the ground. You know, just, just I think, has the potential to be good for Tennessee, but we're not sure exactly who will start this week. You know, how serious that injury to Milton is. But both of those guys are probably similar. Tennessee loves to throw the deep ball, right? They run that very fast tempo. They try to hit short kind of plays close to the line. And the key is get that first down. Once you get that first down, they'll really ramp up the tempo. And if we're being honest, that's something that Florida has struggled with since Todd Grantham has been in charge of Florida's defense. They like to sub a lot defensively for Florida. I think one of the ideas behind trying to create some of that position versatility that the Gators have tried to create under Todd Grantham has been to avoid having to sub against teams like this that love to run tempo. We're going to find out how well the Gators have adjusted to that. That was a big focal point for Dan Mullen in the offseason. We're not getting lined up fast enough defensively. We're having issues getting set before the snap against these very high tempo teams. Tennessee is going to test you as much as anybody will the rest of the year on that. So we're going to find out, you know, how can this young secondary do in terms of handling the communication, handling the calls, getting the checks in real quick, and then getting ready to play because Tennessee is going to stress you like that. So I think one thing that's very important for Florida against this Tennessee offense, you've got to be good on your sub, sub packages, right? This is not a game where you want to be shuffling in a guy who's maybe only going to give you two snaps on the defensive line, you know, in a situation where Tennessee, if they pick up a first down, they're going quick, right? So I, I think you'll see the defensive rotation for Florida in terms of number of guys that are playing similar to that Alabama game. It's going to be pared down a little bit. You're probably not going to go deep as deep on the bench. Um, but I think this Tennessee offense, when you look at it, relies a little bit more on the tempo creating issues for it than necessarily winning with power up front, kind of dominating the line of scrimmage. What the volunteers are trying to do is they're trying to get you to kind of flow click quickly, bite on things here or there. You'll see them do a lot of wide receiver screens, stuff to their perimeter. I think the one thing I don't see right now from this Tennessee team that you've seen from other Josh Heupel offenses in the past 
I'm not sure the Volunteers have really figured out the run portion of his offense right now. And when you saw him operating at a really, really high level at Missouri back in 2016 and 2017, when Drew Locke was the quarterback, what really made it work was when they get into that 10 personnel, meaning they have four receivers out there and they've got one running back, and they're spreading you out and, and getting those quick screen passes, stretching things to the perimeter. What really made it work at Missouri was you had a really good tailback who could run out of single back looks against weak boxes and be able to pick up chunk yardage. The Ish Witter, the Demaria Crockett, the um, Larry Roundtree types, right? Those guys that can kind of do it by themselves if you give them a numbers advantage in the box. I don't see that with Tennessee right now. I don't think their run game is very developed. The Volunteers haven't been working with a full offensive line, and I know that Heupel is hoping that they get some of those Cooper brothers back this week. Uh, not Cooper brothers, I'm sorry, the Mays brothers. Cooper Mays, who's a guy that has been dinged up a little bit with an ankle injury. They, Tennessee really needs to get him involved at center. And then Cade Mays, obviously, you know, a high-profile type guy, very, very talented prospect. They need to get those guys back healthy. But from what we've seen so far, Tennessee's O-line just isn't very good. And I think that's that's not surprising altogether when you talk about Josh Heupel's offense. It runs so fast that I think it takes offensive linemen some getting used to, you know, to be able to run up there every snap, get, get going. I think what you're seeing right now from, from Tennessee's O-line, those guys are more worried about getting in place, trying to put a hat on a hat, blocking guys, than they are comfortable enough to just blow people off the ball, right? You're not seeing that from Tennessee right now. And so I do think this Tennessee offense is a little bit one-dimensional. I don't think Florida's going to have any trouble whatsoever shutting down the run. I think if there's going to be any semblance of a Tennessee run game, it's going to come with the quarterbacks. And that's what the Volunteers have shown through the first two weeks, that they haven't been able to consistently generate a ground game with their running backs, with their O-line. But every here and there, you can get guys like Hooker or Milton who, you know, again, they get you flow into those perimeter outside spots. And then every now and then you'll see a lane and the quarterback will be able to take off with a scramble. So I think for the Gators, you'll probably, you know, keep a linebacker spy in there when you can. But I think this is going to be a game where it's really on the Florida secondary to react quickly. You know, you, you, you've got to come up and make tackles in space. If you have the same kind of tackling issues that you did in that first quarter against Alabama, Tennessee is a team that can take advantage. Now, their talent is not nearly as good as Alabama at those skill perimeter positions. You know, they, they don't have the kind of talent that Bama does. But Tennessee can take advantage. And I think when you talk about a tempo team like this, the momentum within the game can very much get snowballing quickly. And so I think for Florida, this is really one of those games where all three phases come into play. Meaning, you know, if Tennessee does have a long extended drive, you know, you may need to rest your defense for a little bit and try to lean on your ground game offensively. On the flip side, I really think that three and outs are the absolute key to turning this into a blowout quickly. You get a couple three and outs and then Florida leans on a long drive with the run game. Tennessee can be out of this game very quickly. So there's a couple things at play here. I think for Florida, you need to be aware of the deep ball, right? Tennessee hasn't necessarily hooked up on it a bunch so far this year. Um, they haven't been great. A lot of overthrown balls really by both quarterbacks, even sometimes, you know, against Tennessee Tech, they had one early right into the breadbasket of the receiver and he drops it. But the Vols haven't been great at completing those deep shots yet, but they are going to take them routinely. I mean, that's what they do. Josh Heupel loves to do that. And they love to try to do it too after you kind of get flowing to the line. So Florida is going to have to be very, very disciplined in the secondary with their eyes. You know, you can't get caught looking in the backfield. 
And, you know, I, I think if you're Tennessee, you continue to kind of develop based on the quarterbacks leaking out of the pocket and scrambling. I think if you can if you can kind of do that a little more frequently, then probably you can force the secondary to be worried a little bit more. And then maybe those deep shots are a little bit more open. But for Florida, this is a discipline game all the way on defense. You know, I think the front four should be able to control the run game for Florida. I really don't see that being an issue, as I said. I think if Tennessee is going to generate something on the ground, it comes from the quarterback. But again, that that key against this Tennessee offense, force three and outs, and I think you have a chance to get ahead early, and then this game gets a lot easier. The one thing you don't want to do is let Tennessee get confidence coming into the swamp and then it, and then have this be a game going into the fourth quarter because those deep shots are there from time to time, and, and we have seen Florida looked a lot better against Alabama, but we have seen Florida give them up from time to time. So I think the key is is establishing an early lead. I think on the flip side, if Tennessee is going to make this a game, it's going to be because of their defense. I think the, the Tennessee defense, it's hard to say right now because they've only really been tested once and Pitt had a lot of success against them. But the Vols are fast in the front seven. Like when you're, when you're looking at Tennessee's defensive front, it looks like an SEC front. You've got cornerbacks that are very, very physical. They like to come press you at the line. Safeties aren't afraid to come up and, and hit people. And I think Tennessee is very fast. I don't think they're overly physical in the front seven. And that's where Florida has a chance to continue to assert itself on the ground, to be that dominant ground team where you control the tempo of the game throughout. You dictate the pace of the game. Um, but look, I'm impressed by this Tennessee front. I think I don't know that there's necessarily huge difference makers on the line of scrimmage. And I think that doesn't bode well, probably for the Vols against Florida. But I think they've got a lot of athletes on this defense, and I think they're going to be quick to the ball. So the key for Florida on offense, don't give Tennessee the ball. Do not give them a chance to get extra possessions to potentially make things interesting in the swamp. You know, if you can lean on that ground game, kind of take Tennessee out of it from the jump, I think you're going to be in good shape. Um, one thing that I did notice Texas Tech try to do to beat, sorry, Tennessee Tech, not Texas Tech. Tennessee Tech really tried to take advantage of Tennessee's aggressiveness, stepping up to the line of scrimmage. You know, they, they threw two early in the first half receiver throwback passes where they have a receiver kind of drop into the backfield. He takes a pass and then hurdles it downfield. The first one, Tennessee covered very well, but the Vols came back to it later in the game. And I think what you see is Tennessee gets more, the more they start feeling themselves defensively, the more they start attacking downhill. And that's when you're going to have that shot over the top. And Tennessee Tech had a chance, should have had a touchdown on it, overthrew it a little bit on the second time they tried it. But they caught Tennessee stepping up to the line and threw it right over the top. So I think you're going to see Dan Mullen draw some things up for Emory Jones, potentially for Anthony Richardson, to take advantage of those deep shots, get Tennessee chasing at the line of scrimmage, and then go. And I think a lot of that boils down to, again, Florida's got to be able to establish the run game. But the bottom line, to me, if you're looking at these two teams, is Florida has answers. Florida should be able to run the ball and lean on Tennessee. I don't think Tennessee is going to be able to run the ball at all against Florida. And so if, if you're talking about this game potentially becoming a game, it's going to boil down to turnovers. As long as Florida avoids making costly turnovers and keeping Tennessee in the game, they're going to do well. And then I think forcing those three and outs, a couple of them in the game against Tennessee, that gives you a couple extra possessions. I feel a lot better about Florida's chances to convert possessions into points than I do Tennessee's. I think the Vols are just making too many mistakes. Um, we talked about Hendon Hooker being a little loose with the football. We talked about the quarterbacks for Tennessee having a tendency to overthrow balls. And then I, I just don't think Tennessee right now is established enough up front on the O-line 
to keep Florida's D-line from, from being really disruptive. You know, Pitt had five sacks in their game against Tennessee. Zach Carter should have a huge day. Some of these other pass rushers for Florida should have a big day. Final X factor, I would say. Tennessee's been pretty good with the special teams so far. Velas Jones has been really, really good. He hurt Tennessee Tech quite a bit with some, some really big returns in that game. And to be honest, Florida special teams are not where they need to be at this point. We can talk about the missed extra point last week, but Florida's been giving teams the chance to return kickoffs probably more than it should. That needs to improve. You don't want to be kicking off to Velas Jones, giving him a shot. Same with the punt returns. You really kind of want to steer it away from him because that's a place where Tennessee can potentially pick up hidden yardage, give themselves an easier go of it on offense. But the Vols are pretty good. And, you know, they have an all-SEC punter, very, very productive guy, uh, field goal kickers, three for three right now. So I think Tennessee has the edge on special teams. Florida just needs to avoid that becoming a big factor in the game. My overall thoughts to wrap up real quickly here, because I know we're getting pretty close to 30 minutes. Actually a little impressed. I didn't, I didn't think I'd be able to talk for 30 minutes without Blake. But an early start for Florida is important. You know, obviously you never want to fall behind 21 to three like you did against Alabama, but particularly with this quick strike Tennessee team, potentially quick strike, I should say, you know, they're going to throw a lot of deep shots, but I think they're going to, you know, they're going to miss on as many as they hit. So for Florida, if you can force Tennessee to feel pressure by going up a score too early, kind of force them to be one dimensional. I mean, they're going to be one dimensional to some degree anyway, again, because I don't think they can run the ball, but if you can really force them to be one dimensional, these Tennessee quarterbacks they're going to make mistakes. I mean, that's been Tennessee's MO for the last several years. I don't think it's been solved with two transfer guys coming in who basically both had shots at their other schools and, and really, you know, we're, we're okay, but, but not game breakers. I don't think I see that from Tennessee's quarterbacks. So for Florida, it's all about controlling the game. You need to play all three phases. I think Dan Mullen has a very good handle on how to do that. And so you'll see he'll manage certain drives offensively where if his defense needs a breather because Tennessee has been going quick tempo and, uh, you know, has, if Tennessee puts together a 10-play, 12-play drive against your defense, you're going to see Florida play the clock and sit back, give their defense a chance to rest, regroup, figure out whatever, you know, Josh Heupel's doing that's working. They're going to give themselves time to breathe. I think Florida is by far the better team in this contest. But like I said, I'm impressed by Tennessee's defense. I know that Pitt scored 41 against them. But, you know, I, I think Florida will be able to push Tennessee around in the front four. I don't think Tennessee's front four can stand up physically, but I do think the Vols are very aggressive near the line of scrimmage, and that's going to put some pressure on Emory Jones to make some of those throws in the intermediate zones to, to kind of keep Florida's offense moving. The other thing I would say, final, final note from me, don't assume this game is put away. You know, unless you've got a 21, 28 point lead, do not act like this game is put away. A 14 point lead is not safe against a team that runs very, very quick tempo and will take deep shots. All it takes when you're up 14 is one or two deep shots, and all of a sudden, they're right back in it. They know how to score quickly. Um, again, I don't think this game should really be a concern for Florida. As, score, as far as score predictions, it, you know, I was thinking about this the other week. It's really hard to bet on Dan Mullen teams, right? Because the first two weeks, you know, Florida could have blown out FAU by much, much more than they did. But obviously, they're working on things. They're rolling in a lot of guys defensively. Same against USF, you know, where they, they lose the second half 17 to 7. I think Florida, from an emotional standpoint, it's going to be really hard to generate the same kind of energy for this game as it was against Alabama. You know, the, you're physically beat up. You're, you're mentally, emotionally drained. But that's where the maturity of this team for Florida kicks in. That's where Dan Mullen's culture kicks in. Dan's been impressed with the week of practice his team has put together. So you got to feel like, you know, 
I think the Gators are ready to come out. I sense that they're hungry after being just two points away from Alabama, and they know that they can't afford to slip up. So I expect Florida to come out, and I expect this to be a fairly easy, straightforward blowout game for Florida. But again, I think turnovers are a big key to this game. We need to see the Emory Jones that came out against Alabama and not the previous two weeks. I thought he did a really, really good job of cleaning up some of those mistakes. Even his one interception against the Crimson Tide wasn't necessarily his fault. But we got to see that guy. I'd like to see him continue to improve his accuracy. And then whether or not Anthony Richardson plays, you know, Florida just needs to continue developing its identity, continue to build depth. If you do that against Tennessee and come out with a win at the end of the day, that's all you need to do. I think you keep this program on the right trajectory. Everything is about building forward to that Georgia game right now. And obviously that you don't want the players to look ahead, but that's what the focus should be for Florida. Continue to build out. Just make it through these next four games without a slip up. And it starts Saturday in the swamp. You know, I think fans will be revved up. Night game. There's no reason for Florida not to show up, not to be ready to go. And at the end of the day, I think the difference maker is Florida's O-line. I do not see Tennessee's defense being able to shut down the run in quite the same way. Um, Well, I say quite the same. I mean, Alabama didn't shut down Florida's run. So I think Florida wins this game going away. But if you want to know my exact score prediction, that will be on Swamp247.com. That prediction piece from myself, from Bob Redman, and from Blake Alderman comes out on Friday, mid-morning. Be sure to check it out. I'll also have my thoughts breaking down the matchups in writing. Uh, You know, when Florida's passing the ball, when Florida's running the ball, when Tennessee's running, when Tennessee's passing. We'll break all that down and give you an idea what to look for. But those are my thoughts on the game. And uh, Blake will be back with me. I think he'll be back on Sunday. Actually, I'm not positive about that. But either way, we will be back on Sunday with this podcast to break down Florida's game against Tennessee. Should be, hopefully for Florida fans, a relatively straightforward game. But that'll do it for today's episode of the podcast, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, sorry to only you know have one of us on here. I know that my voice probably gets a little boring after a while, but I do appreciate you guys tuning in. And thank you so much for all the support on the YouTube channel. If you're not on the YouTube channel, be sure to check it out. You can hit subscribe. No, no charge whatsoever. It's completely free, and that'll give you notifications every time we upload a video, which could be the podcast, could maybe breaking down any kind of news that comes out of Florida, that kind of thing. And if you're listening on a podcast platform like iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, please leave us a nice review. We really appreciate it. That'll do it for today's episode of the podcast, guys. We'll see you on Sunday. CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.